Good morning, Center. How are we doing? Good. It's good to see you. Good to be with you. Uh, for those of you that know me, it's good to be back, and it's good to see you. I've missed a lot of you. It's been a long time, actually, I think, since I've been here, uh, like months and months and months. So it's been good. Uh, it's just been good even this morning already to be, be here and be back. And uh, if you don't know me, if you haven't put up with me before, my name is David. Uh, just like John said, I'm with The Collective, uh, and it's just it's a joy to be with you this morning. So opening question, I just want to jump right in because we got a lot that I want to cover today. Opening question goes like this. Uh, are, how many of you are control freaks? Anybody else? Okay, so own it. Uh, how many of you, the person just next to you lied? Like they didn't raise their hand and they should have. Anybody else? You're like, yep, you're pointing or your spouse, maybe somebody that's not here. Uh, I'm a control freak. I'll own it. I'll admit it. Uh, I've been told I, I can be a micromanager sometimes, especially like by my family. Uh, it's like back off, get away, go away. But like, don't you believe that the world would be a better place if you were in charge of everything? <laughs> like, let's just, let's be honest. Uh, I remember when I was in, uh, when I was in high school, I hated school. I absolutely hated school. Anybody else relate to that? High school was just like a pain. Like it was just horrible. So I hated school. So when I was in college, uh, and then I eventually graduated, uh, and I went to graduate school, which somebody who hates school just to continue going to school was just a dumb decision. Uh, but I remember thinking like one of the jobs I'm actually available to apply for now, I'm actually eligible, is I can go, ha I can go back and I can be a substitute teacher. So I, I embodied School of Rock Jack Black. I was like, I can actually go back and I can fix the system where it's broken. So I went into the school system. I was with middle schoolers. I was with high schoolers. Uh, I was a school bus driver. And so I, I really saw my role. I was like to step in. I'm like, I'm going to fix what's broken. And so I, I started out. I remember the first day I walked in, I was a little bit nervous, but I was like, I'm in charge. Like I'm, I'm fixing what's broken right now. And so I said, my name is Mr. Dorner. You can call me Mr. D or you can call me Mr. Cool. That grabbed so fast. Everybody called me Mr. Cool in the middle school. In the high school, nobody cared. Nobody cared at all. They all hated, like, oh, you guys look like high school age. You don't care, right? You're like, you guys were the worst substitute. Just leave me alone. That was most of them. It was like, they just put their heads in. They look right at you and go, I'm not listening to a word you say. And you go, I understand who's really in charge here. So that was, that was my experience in high school. And then also as a high school substitute teacher. Uh, but I want to ask you this question. Okay. So the question goes like this. Um, if you are a control freak, um, who is somebody you wish you could control in your life right now? So we're in a marriage series, okay? So obviously there's, there's some of you, right? Awkward, don't look at the person you came with today. Sometimes it's like, wouldn't it be better? I ask you, I mean, just be honest. Would your marriage be better if you were in charge? 100% John Gorbett says, lead pastor of Center Church. 100% my marriage would be better. How many of you, I mean, honestly, maybe you won't, you won't admit it as audibly as John, but how, how many of you believe like your marriage could be better if you were in charge? Uh, kids, if you're kids, you have parents, how many of you believe that like your life could actually be better? Everybody's life could be better in your family if you were the one in charge, if you were the one calling the shots. How many of you, so I'm, here, I'm here to preach, preach, keep it coming. At your workplace, would it be better if you were in charge? It, maybe in your local church, maybe on your team, class, what, like whatever it is. I, I, it wouldn't, isn't it true that many of us believe things would get better if we were in charge or we were in control? The last one I want to ask is this. How many of you believe that your relationship with God would be better if you were in charge and he was not? Man, most of my life, I, I treat God or I approach my relationship with God like this. God, I have a great plan, and if you will adapt to my plan, things will go swimmingly. 
That approach hasn't worked for me, but that approach actually does come from somewhere. So if you have a Bible, let's jump in. Let's jump in right away. Genesis chapter three is where we're going. And uh, you don't even need a Bible for most of you. Like if you grew up in church, you're like Genesis chapter three, that's like the curse. That's like the fall. That's sin. That's the serpent. That's Adam and Eve. They sin and there's distance and separation. It is. And that's what we're going to read together. Genesis chapter three, verse four. Here's what it says. Uh, the serpent is speaking to the woman. So the serpent is speaking to Eve. He's tempting her. He's saying, eat this apple or eat this fruit. Eat. God said, don't even touch it. Don't go near this tree. This is not good for you. I'm in charge. You're not. Don't touch it. Don't go near it. This is bad. So please do not do it. And the serpent is speaking and he's tempting and he's twisting and he's distorting everything. And he says to Eve, the serpent says to, it's, he says, you will not certainly die. The servant said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. What does that mean? What, what does the phrase you will be like God mean? That means you will be in charge. You will know what he knows. Therefore, you can decide. You can make your own decisions. You will have his power, or his authority, or his knowledge, or whatever it is. You will be like him. You will be equal to him. You will have the place of God, which is the authority. And that was so tempting. He even finishes knowing good and evil. That was so tempting for Eve that she took of it, and she ate it, and she handed it to Adam, who was this silent observer until that point, and he takes the fruit, and he eats it, and both of them made the assumption, and then they actually moved forward with it, that if I were in charge, things would be better in my life, and that was at the very beginning of creation. That was right there. So something they have in common, something we have in common. So, so often, all of relationships that we enter into, we, it's like a control thing. If we could control, if we could change, if we could manipulate, if we could, if we could adapt the circumstances or the people that we're in relationship with, if they would just do what we want them to do, things would get better. Amen? Amen. So wrong, right? You know that. That was a setup. The struggle for power stems from a place of resistance to submission. It started in Genesis 3. It carries all throughout the entire narrative of Scripture that there is a resistance to submitting. There's a resistance to sacrificing. There's a resistance to following because if we're really honest, if we, if we really get at the heart of what we desire from life or relationships, it's that we would be in control. And so the statement maybe that I would toss out to you or, or the question, what if God's design for marriage and relationships means less control, not more control? Do you still want to do it his way? What if we could have this great marriage? Maybe it's right now. Maybe it's someday in the future. Maybe, maybe it's a long time away from now. Maybe, maybe you're not married. Maybe you don't ever want to get married. Maybe you won't ever get married. But maybe you're going, what does that look like as far as my relationship with God? Am I okay entering into a relationship with God in which I am not in control and never will be? God says, this is good. It's actually the thing he invites us to step into. Do you want it? Are you interested in it? Are you willing to step in or is there a piece of you that says, I'm willing to step in in my relationship with God, but only so much because there's always going to be this one thing that I hold on to. And to let go of it will be impossible. I just won't do it. Uh, week two, so we're in this series called Rewriting Love. Marriage is a metaphor. Marriage is a metaphor. The, the marriage relationships, not that we see, but the marriage relationships that God designed are always intended to point to the person of Jesus and our relationship that we can have with him. 
It's a metaphor. I preach it every time I do a wedding. This is all about, a, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. The day of your wedding or the day of your marriage that it begins is a wedding. But how many of us who are married know the wedding is different than the marriage, right? Uh, if you're at marriage night this last week, I heard this comedian. He was so funny. His name was Dustin Nickerson. And he goes, you know, weddings, he just snickers at weddings. He's like, ha, ha, ha. This couple doesn't know what it means. He said, you want to know what marriage is? Marriage is the next day when you show up at the airport to fly out to your honeymoon and your spouse looks at you and says, I forgot my passport. His comment was like, this is marriage. See you later. I'm going to Mexico on my own. You're going to learn sayonara. It's like, isn't it true? It's like the first step you go, okay, this is marriage. Marriage is struggle. And now I'm not in charge. Now I'm not in control. Now I can't change somebody. The worst fight that Shannon and I had ever had in our relationship happened on the way home from the airport from our honeymoon. It was like, just this giant blow up about something stupid. But I wanted something done one way. She wanted something done a totally different way. And it erupted in this conflict because we weren't just fighting about the thing. We were fighting for control. So Paul is writing today that we're going to unpack it. Uh, The Apostle Paul, we're going to go all the way to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians uh, is a letter that Paul wrote to an early church, like a young church in Ephesus. And so you got to understand some contextual pieces about Ephesus to understand why Paul was writing this letter and then why he specifically outlines marriages in this text. So Ephesus, uh, although probably most of us in this room have never been to Ephesus before. You can actually still visit it. Like you can visit it today. It's this historical site. But maybe what we picture like when we read the Bible uh, is sometimes it's like a little tiny farm town with like sheep roaming around everywhere and, and a two track that cuts through it with maybe a blinking light, maybe just a stop sign. Like most of us, that's how we think about, about the Bible or about places in the Bible. Ephesus was the opposite. Ephesus was like an epicenter of culture. It was an epicenter of entertainment, of education, of government, of power, of innovation, of commerce, of business. I mean, Ephesus was big. It was this booming, booming city. And so as Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, they have this struggle because relationships with one another were a mess. Roles of men and women revolved around power and authority that, that came from their understanding and immersion in the culture. So culture out there or society or the way that things just happened was influencing and impacting some of the most core relationships like marriage that Paul needed to address because it was damaging So Ephesians 5, verse 21, it says this. This is the lens in which Paul says everything. So I want you to catch this, and this is why it's the only thing on the screen right now. He says this, submit to who? Say it. One another. Before he says anything else, before he starts articulating rules, before he starts talking about men, before he starts talking about women, before he starts talking about anybody else or getting specific, he starts with this and he says, submit to one another. So both people come and submit to each other, particularly in marriage. And remember, this is a metaphor for our relationship with Jesus. We're we're invited to step in and submit. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the lens in which we need to hear everything today. It's not one versus the other. It's not I'm in charge and you're not. It is as we both come to the table in whatever relationship you're talking about, it is a posture of submission. 
Well, then you ask the question, well, then who's in charge? Who leads when you're having a submit fest? Like you're trying to out-submit the other person. Paul, he's going to articulate. So let's keep reading. Ephesians 5, verse 22, he starts with wives, and he says this. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Wives hate that verse right? Understandably so. This is how awesome. What an honor and privilege that John invited me to speak on this topic to you today. So grateful for the opportunity. I remember the first time I preached on this, I was working for a camp. I worked for Spring Hill Day Camps. We traveled around. We had a staff of like 40 or 50. So we moved place to place to place. And we had like a teaching component every week. And the topic I was given was this one. And you can bet I heard from every single one of those women leading up to the sermon. They go, don't you tell me I'm supposed to submit to no man. And I went, uh, I'm going to read the text. Put your seatbelt on. Here, here's what you need to understand about what was going on, and then we're going to talk about husbands in a second. So a lot of you are like, yes, all right, life verse. Wrong. It's not going to be your life verse, I promise you, for what we're going to read next. But Ephesians 5, 22, it talks about wives submitting to your husbands. Husbands would have read that letter that Paul wrote and went, yes, I told you I'm in charge. Here's what was going on in the culture. Husbands always carried the bag of authority. They carried the weight. Husbands could do whatever they wanted in this culture. They could do whatever they wanted. They didn't have to love their wives. They didn't have to honor their wives. They didn't have to respect their wives. They didn't have to be faithful to their wives. Husbands held the entire bag of power and authority in all of the culture, and it was wreaking havoc havoc. I mean, just nuts. Relationships were falling apart. And so what Paul was saying is like, the church is supposed to look different. If you have a relationship with Jesus, it's supposed to look different and it's supposed to change everything. So as he starts, he starts with this because he knows how men think and he knows how men work. And so he goes, he, he's doing this. I'm going to set up the men. I'm going to set them up. And I'm, at first, I want to speak to wives and say, wives, you get to embody. Remember, marriage is this metaphor. He says, wives, you get to embody the church of which Jesus is the head. He goes, Here, here's the metaphor. It's so complex, it's beautiful. But wives, as you submit to your husbands, the church, all of us, are called to submit to Christ as he is the head. He's saying that's, that's the metaphor that you get to live into. But then he says this in verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wives, which husbands go, nice, I kind of feel like I got let off on that deal, Right? She has to, to obey or listen or submit to me, but then all, all I have to do is love. Well, let's keep reading. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? Everything. Beatings, whippings. I mean, it arrested, falsely accused, no voice. I mean, as he's taken, he went before the authorities. He did it constantly on our behalf. He went to the cross. He was nailed to a cross. He hung there for hours. He interceded on our behalf. He pled with his father, like, God, if there's any other way, but I'm willing to submit to you. I'm willing to do this for you and for our church, for the people that you've called me to. So I'm willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice. I'm not even just going to pay with my physical life, but, but I'm going to pay for their spiritual bondage. 
That's what I'm willing to do. So, so as Paul writes this, he goes, husbands, husbands, husbands. I mean, you can imagine, picture the tone, right? It's like a coach that's about to light you up. He goes, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And just in case men miss that, right? Details, not my strong suit. He articulates and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. All of a sudden, the the playing field just leveled out. You know, like I could picture, I could picture the wives. I wrote this one down. I just thought this was funny. Um, the wives in the room said, I am happy to submit now. Go ahead and die, and that's what I'll do. <laughs> Fair? Go ahead. You want me to follow you? You want me to submit to you? You want me to respect you? Model it. You do what Christ did for the church. You lay everything down. Everything you want, everything you own, everything you have control of, everything you have power over, everything you have influence, lay it all down. It is so much easier to submit to somebody who's willing to do everything and pay everything for me. And again, marriage is this metaphor. So often we, we get caught in the weeds. We, we get fought, like, caught fighting over who's in charge, who's in control, who has the power, who has the power, who has the ultimate authority, who gets the say. At the end of the day, when neither one of us can agree, who gets the final word? What Jesus is saying is, I already modeled that. At the end of the day, here's what happens. You mutually submit to one another. And if marriage is a metaphor, then you mutually submit to our heavenly father together. That's who's in charge. That is so counterintuitive. I mean, even like, let me give you a little more context to you. So so men had the strong patriarchal history in families, but culture, this is why this is such a a mind-boggling, but like culture-stirring type of verse. At this moment in history, women were actually, there's this strong feminist movement that was taking place in Ephesus and in the culture. So women were rising up. Like it wasn't, it wasn't the traditional, like traditional as far as like, like the biblical, the man carries the whole bag and then women, women are just silent and in the corner and quiet. What was happening is the tide was turning. And so women actually had prominent leadership positions in every level of government, of education, of business. And so now that, that was changing in marriage. And what was happening too is so many women were so sick of being abused or neglected or forgotten that it actually affected even like their relationships. So, so in marriage, what they would say is, oh man, you, you know, you've always thought that you could sleep around or you could make decisions or you could control or you could do it. You can do whatever you want. Now I'm going to do that. So you see how, so culture, as they fight over power, both of them decline significantly. So as Paul is writing this, I mean, this is what's amazing about this verse. I don't know if it offends you today. There's a whole, there's there's chunks all throughout the Bible that I read and I go, that's offensive, but it's because it convicts me. If this is, if this is like convicting or this is frustrating or this is angering for you, I mean, here's what I want you to know. Paul single-handedly offended everybody in like four sentences. Because women in this group are finally getting a voice. They're finally getting control and power and authority. And Paul's saying, hey, submit it. Lay it down. Men who had always had it, Paul is saying to them, submit it. 
lay it down. If this is a metaphor, if the whole purpose of this is that you sacrifice, that you embody the person of Jesus, both of you as you come together, then both of you need to come to the table. That's what Paul says. That's how he outlines it. So he writes his church a letter, and I can only imagine what they thought as they read it for the first time. So here's what he's saying. To wives, don't extort, don't humiliate, don't cheat, don't manipulate, submit in love. And here's what he's saying to husbands. Lay it all down. Every last bit of it. To the point that, that I think so many men like want to be heroic. You remember even as kids, I still remember, this is stupid. It's not in my notes. I probably shouldn't share it with you. Uh, I remember I had a dream once. And uh, I was a firefighter. And, uh, like, I was a kid. I was just a little kid. I, it was, like, New York City. Street was on fire, burning down. I mean, it was, like, flames everywhere. People are screaming, like, help. And I was there. And I'm a kid. I'm, like, six. And so I just remember thinking, like, I, I can help put this fire out. I had, I had to go to the bathroom. And I put the whole thing out. <laughs> it was awesome. Like, I was a hero. You know what happened in my dream? It's crazy how vivid it is. They're holding me up like Rudy. And they're going, David, David, David. I woke up. My bed was soaked. <laughs> but I woke up a hero. Like, it was, this is one of my favorite dreams I've ever had. I was like, I've never been celebrated so much. I mean, it's like, wow. What, what, what Paul is saying to men, he's saying, be a hero and lay your life down. I mean, look at the Marvel movies, or you look at all the, the comic books growing up, whatever. The hero, the hero that's celebrated is always the one that lays his life down for somebody else. That's what Jesus did. Jesus is the ultimate hero. I mean, he, he took it all on. He took the enemy, the biggest, baddest enemy that's ever been. He took him on head first, and, and he beat him with his own life so that we who, who were weak, who were selfish, who a lot of times are just dumb and self-centered and focused, so, so that we could benefit from his heroism. That's the call that he's put in front. So, so a lot of us, I, I would say, just speaking to men here for a second, a lot of us want to be heroes. We want to be heroic in how we live. And so we say, I, I would die for you. Here's what Paul is saying. Die for them every single day of your life. That's way harder. It's not just saying give up your life. It, it's saying submit your life. Sacrifice your life day in and day out for, for the most trivial things and for the most important things. You lay it down. And he's saying, this is what the model of marriage is supposed to look like. And it's a wonder why half of all marriages don't end up finishing the, the finish line together it's a wonder why so many people even today, especially the younger generation, are just going, I don't want to get married. Odds aren't really in my favor. I mean, it's like if one of every two flights went down, would you fly? You know, like we can point fingers and we can say, you guys should just get married. I mean, 50%? But Paul is saying, if you want a different experience, it requires something different from you than what the culture is willing to give it. 
So he single-handedly offended both groups, but he also single-handedly invited both to experience their relationship with God in a different way than they ever have before. Mark chapter 10, uh, I love this story. It's just because it shows the reality and the realness of the disciples. Jesus picks 12 disciples, okay? A bunch of young men to follow him around. And he says this, the word what? He says, follow, follow me. Not, not come so I can, I can raise you up and be a leader. No, no, he goes, just come follow me. Come follow me. That's what I'm inviting you to do. So the, these disciples follow him around and, and they're getting pictures. Like Jesus is teaching and he's preaching. He's going all around and, he, and they're getting a picture for what it means. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm going to establish a new kingdom. I'm going to establish a new kingdom. So what, what they think is they're like, Rome is, is oppressive. They're mean, right? They're controlling. So Jesus is going to overthrow the Romans. Jesus is going to be in charge. Jesus is going to be king. So who, who's going to be vice king? That's what they start wondering. They start fighting over it. So James and John start fighting over it. It says this in Mark chapter 10. So it's the gospel of Mark, verse 31. It says, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John because James and John began fighting over, okay, well, if you said, I, I want to sit on his right. No, I'm sitting on his right. You sit on his left. They're fighting back and forth. Like, I, I'm going to sit. I'm going to be number two. No, I'm going to be number two. No, you can be number three. You're number three in real life anyway. So you're number three in this. I mean, it's like they're going back and forth. The rest of them get ticked off. They're like, We're, are you kidding me? You already called dibs? So Jesus speaks to them. It says he called them over and he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, rulers of the Gentiles, as in people out there, as in culture out there, as society out there, as marriages out there, as government officials, as business leaders, as teachers, as friends, whatever, those people out there, you know that when they're in power, they use it to their own advantage and they lord it over them. He says this, as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. These four gigantic words, not so with you. Again, Jesus is going, you have to pick. Do, do you want what they're serving? Because they kill each other. I mean, they kill each other relationally. They kill each other, I mean, even physically, the amount of wars that take place. It's like, you want to fight over control. You want to fight over wealth. You want to fight over, it's like that, that ends in a Genesis 3 type of relationship. Division, destruction, curse. It, not so with you. I'm inviting you into this brand new thing. I'm inviting you into this thing that, that you haven't even tasted yet. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all for even, here's the metaphor, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul's encouragement to Christian marriages wasn't, hey, in the event of a fight, in the event of a conflict, in the event of a dispute, here's who's in charge, here's the order, here's how you can get to a solution, and then get back at it. That was not his encouragement. That was not his focus. That's not even the message of Jesus. Paul's encouragement as he speaks to marriages and he's, as he speaks to the church, so not just married people, as he speaks to the church, his encouragement and invitation to them was to come and die, just like Jesus did. It's a hard sell. I mean, can, can we be honest? That's a hard sell. Here's the question I, I would think if I'm sitting in your seat. Uh, I'm, not, 
I'm not sure I want to sign up for that. That seems expensive. That, that, that seems like it's going to cost me everything. And Paul is saying, just like Jesus is saying, just like God has said, the entire narrative of Scripture is, you understand it now. The invitation to experience me, to experience the goodness of me, to experience the blessing of me is to die to yourself. Because God is the God of resurrection. He says, when you die to yourself, I can bring you back to life. But it comes at a cost. You want a great marriage someday? Die to yourself. You want great friendships with other people? You want to do well in business? Die, die to yourself. You want to make an impact on the world and make an impact for eternity? Die to yourself. You want to experience life change on a soul level from Jesus? Die to yourself. It's the message all throughout Scripture. It's the message all throughout history as God has spoken to his people. And the message is just as true today as it as it was in the very beginning. Happy Sunday. <clears throat> I love this though. I didn't want to leave this out. So Ephesians 5, verse 28, Paul was like, I don't know if all of the men heard me at the beginning. So I'm going to say a couple more things. He says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, to which every wife in the room goes, Awesome. Pass. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And that last piece, he's quoting Genesis chapter two. Paul is saying, again, to reiterate another punch, another hit to the gut, to men even in particular. He says, as you love and care for your own body, take care of your spouse. That's his, his invitation. So, so for me, that's a check. Um, this is just funny, um, sort of funny. I got COVID like three weeks ago, three and a half weeks ago, something like that. Uh, I kicked my butt like big time. There was one night I just, I couldn't eat. I had fevers galore. Um, it took me like 45 minutes to eat a cup of rice. I was like, wow, I am such a whip. Like I was just, force it down, David, force it. And so I, I lost like 10 pounds in 10 days. I was like, dang. So I was telling Shan, I was like, that's how bad it was. And she looks at me full of grace and compassion and love, and she says, consider it a head start. <laughs> I said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Just kidding. I didn't say that. I'm scared of my wife to say that. But it, it bugged me. It bugged me because of this verse. I'm obviously not starving myself. But like it starts making me think, like it, are there things that I'm withholding from Shannon that I'm obviously not withholding from myself? Hmm. If how I care for my body is indicative of how I care for my wife, am I doing the best job I can do or am I, am I letting things slip? Am I not giving it the time, I'm talking about my body, am I not giving it the time or attention or energy or nutrients or, or affection that it deserves? If, if I don't even do that for myself, or, or if I'm overindulging in myself, what expense is it coming at for my bride? 
I mean, Paul's challenge to men especially in this is to step up by stepping down. That's what he's encouraging them to do. I love this line. Uh, you never get your capacity to love from the person that you were called to love. Do you get what I mean by that? So often, I'm talking to both now again, so men and women, so often how we approach relationships is like this. I'll give you what you earn. So, so if you want me to submit to you, or if you want me to love you, if you want me to sacrifice for you and lay down my life for you if, you, if you want me to do this, then you ought to blank. And so we wait for the other person to give us a reason to. We wait for the other person to prove to us that, they, that, that, that we can be trusted with it. We, we wait for the other person to move. We wait for them to go first. We, we wait and we derive the level that we're willing to go based on the other person. But according to this, it says we never get our capacity to love. We can't determine what we're willing to do by the other person. We can't. We can't. We, we, we can't get, if we're called to love, then that's, that's, that's obedience between us and God. We're called to lay our lives down. We're called to submit. We're called to mutually submit to one another because it's what we're supposed to do, not because of what the other person is doing. So we can't get our capacity to love someone from that someone, but we can get it from someone else. Do you realize this is exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross? Can you imagine if that was Jesus' approach as he went to the cross and he went, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to derive it from the people I'm dying for. The people he was dying for killed him. I mean, everybody from the Roman guards to the government officials, what? Jesus died for people in government? It's in Scripture. Jesus died for people that hated him. It's in scripture. Jesus died for people that rejected him, that denied him, that denied his identity, denied him of the most basic nutrients and life. Jesus did not derive his love for us from us. It came from his heavenly father. I mean, God, he literally said, God is love. Like it's just a community. It's just who, who, who God is. So if God is love, then we get our capacity to love from him. So this is the last piece. I'll invite the band to come up. Um, I wrote David and Shannon's marriage. Marriage is the hardest thing I've ever done. Hands down. Uh, this has been the running joke. I said this uh, last week when I was preaching at Frontline. When I was in college, especially, I used to feel like God was for me in every area of my life except relationships, and in that one, he was actively opposed. Because, like, stupid stuff would happen, and it would, like, to me, I'm like, that could only be attributed to, like, divine intervention. Like, things were going so well, why did the wheels fall off? Like, what, why, why does this keep happening? It was like, God, what are you doing? So, so relationships were often a struggle for me. But then it was like, I met Shannon, and it was like, it was one of the easiest relationships I'd ever had in my entire life. Like, I don't even think we fought, like, during dating or engagement. It's like, like, what is there to fight about? What, I mean, honestly. Like, wait, where to go to dinner? It's like, whatever. Like, we, we didn't fight. We didn't care. We didn't care. We didn't care. We cared. We care now. 
But marriage has been one of the most difficult things that I've ever done uh, for this reason is uh, my parents did not set us up for marriage and they didn't set me up. They, they didn't show me like what, what a marriage could look like. So what I didn't realize is I, I took all of that, I took like a, an unhealthy, dysfunctional picture of marriage and I stepped into my own and I assumed that ours would be different, but it functioned the same way. And so I realized like this control-oriented tendency that I have came up hard. I mean, it was like, I, I wrote this down. I, I, I needed control of the money. I needed control of where we lived. I needed control over how we spent our time, how much time with her family, how much time with my family. I needed to control her work schedule time. And all I wanted her to do was like, just submit, just follow me. This is, it's my job to lead. I'm trying to lead us. I'm doing what's best for us. And it was like, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. I mean, for uh, the first year was hard. And like, here, here's why I, I wanted to articulate this. Here's why I wanted control of our money. So I never had to go back to being a kid when my family lived through the recession. We had two mortgages and it was like asking for shoes was like asking for the world. I never wanted to go back to this place of instability. So I needed control of it to maintain stability for us. Why, why did I need control of like where we lived? Because I was constantly uprooted time and time and time and time and time again when we were growing up. And I never had a voice and I never had a say and I paid the price silently. So now here I am later, I'm going, I'm going to hold this. I'm going to protect it because it's where I'm safe. I mean, it was like everything. It just kept going back to like brokenness and dysfunction, brokenness and dysfunction, brokenness. And you want to know what's crazy? She followed me almost the entire time. She just kept submitting and kept saying, okay. And you know what changed me is I would watch her and I would see the hurt and the pain that it was causing, but it was counterintuitive to what my approach was actually trying to do. So the more I grabbed for control, the more I saw pain and hurt and division and separation and this Genesis 3 type marriage. And we kept going farther and farther and farther. And finally, I was like, I need help started seeing a counselor on a regular basis. It's changed my life, helped me unpack some of the deepest woundedness, but more importantly, it's introduced me to my savior in a way I never knew him. Like what have I learned right now in marriage? We're five years in, we have the best marriage today that we've ever had. You know what's wild? Shannon hasn't changed much. I've had to. It's been me dealing with all of my stuff it's been me, as I've grown in my relationship with Jesus, it has changed my relationship with my wife. I don't know where you are. I don't know what relationship status looks like for you. I, I, I just want to give you an invitation for a journey that I'm on, maybe just a couple steps ahead of some of you, and like a few miles behind others of you. This is what I'm learning. My relationship with Jesus comes out in my relationship with other people. When me and Jesus are good, it's crazy how good other things are because I'm willing to lay my life down because that's what he modeled for me. So three, three questions that I have for you. Um, just to land, it goes like this. What do you need to submit today? Is there something between you and God? Or is there something between you and your spouse? Or is there something between you and a, another relationship that you need to submit? You need to stop fighting for it. You need to stop holding on to it. You need to stop using it. Is there something that you just need to go, I, I'm willing to just take a knee and submit. I'm talking to men and women. Is there something you need to submit? Number two, is there something you need to sacrifice? 
Jesus set the model. He sacrificed the ultimate for our ultimate. What do you need to sacrifice? Not just stop fighting, but now go first and say, I'm willing to give up this other thing that I love or care about, whatever, for who I'm called to love. And then number three, are you willing to go first? I think that's the hardest question and the most important question because it determines the other two. If you say, nope, I'm willing to go second, you're going to live there forever. Jesus' mentality, Jesus' model, Jesus' approach was I'm willing to go first. I'm willing to go first. And he did go first, and he went first for us. The submit and sacrifice, I mean, one one of the best opportunities that you have coming up, two weeks from now, you guys are doing baptism here. Some of you have never submitted to the person of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you need to. It's time. It's overdue. You've fought, or you've held on, or whatever it is, and Jesus is going, no, 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 no. Lay it all. I want you to lay everything down because I, I, I'm going to love you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to lead you to a place you can't get on your own. But you have to trust me. The sacrifice he modeled on the cross for you. Even baptism, what's so cool about baptism is, is it's a tank, right? The tank will be up here. And as you go down into the water, it's, it's symbolic of resurrection. Jesus is saying, when you die to yourself, I bring you back to life and you become a new creation. Baptism may be one of the most important things that you could do, whatever your age is in this room. Maybe you haven't made the decision yet to be baptized, but it's something that comes out of obedience. As you submit, as you sacrifice, I just want to ask you, are you willing to go first? Because Jesus already did on your behalf. So I just want to pray for us as we close out. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. Let me just pray for us. Father, we just come before you right now. We thank you for the person of Jesus. We thank you that his submission to you and his sacrifice for us and his willingness to go first changed everything for us and changed everything for the course of history. Father, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when that moment took place, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they took control, and it created division and brokenness and curse. You said, I already have a plan. Because just as one man's sin can enter in through the world and create havoc and destruction, you said so also through one man being your son can bring restoration, redemption, and hope to the entire world. And so we put our hope and our faith in Jesus this morning. Father, there's somebody in the room today. There's multiple people in the room today that need to give their lives to you. I just pray that they would do so right now, that they would say, Jesus, I give it back. My life is your life. Father, as you model to us what it looks like to die to ourselves for others, I pray that we would have that reputation here in Byron Center as a church, that we would go first by submitting to those who are in authority or those who are not that we would go first by sacrificing that which what we have for those that do not have. I pray that we would lead and model you in our relationships, not just in marriage, not just in friendships, not just at work, but in our community so that as people see how we function, they will say that you're so different. It must be a reflection of something greater. And Father, I pray that we would take advantage of that opportunity to point to you. So we love you. There's marriages that are hurting right now. There's marriages that are broken right now. 
Father, even this message, it, it hits a different place, and I know because I've lived it. Father, I pray that you would mend what has been broken. I pray for a posture of forgiveness and sensitivity. I pray for grace. I pray for mercy. I pray for honesty. And I pray for peace. Father, we lift these all up in Jesus' powerful name. And everybody said together, amen. amen.